Welcome to the Gateway.Live podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray that God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in. Go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, if you've got a Bible, it's going to come up on the screen today, but I'm so excited to be here with you. We're going to begin in Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to go ahead and start, start there. It says this. It says, and again he entered Capernaum. After some days, it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. If you're taking notes today, you can go ahead and write down the title of my message, and that is life like the carpool lane. Life like the carpool lane. And I promise you, you hang on with me for a little bit. You'll understand kind of where we're going today. But would you pray with me as we get started? God, I thank you so much for your presence that is so obviously here today. God, I thank you that today you want to speak to us. You're desiring to speak to us. God, I pray that we would hear what you want us to hear and we would see what you want us to see. And God, our desire today is that each and every one of us would leave here a little bit different and a little bit more like you. We love you in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. 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 Well, I love road trips. Does anybody else, you love road trips? You love you a good old-fashioned road trip, okay? Not very many of us, okay? Let me show of hands. You hate road trips. You, okay, that's the majority there. You and my wife included. Uh, my wife cannot stand road trips. I, in fact, love them. Uh, give me some sunflower seeds and, and, a, and a Red Bull or maybe some coffee, and I'm good to go. Uh, matter of fact, we don't have to talk. Like, we don't need the radio on. I am good to go. Just, just give me some of those things, and I'm good to go. I love road trips. Matter of fact, if I'm going to be honest with you today, I just love driving in general. I was one of those kids that, that you know, like, I, I beat the DMV workers to the DMV the day that I was allowed to get my license, right? Other people, you guys camp out for cell phones and the new TV at Best Buy, I camped out for my license, right? Like, that's just what I did. I, I just, I love driving. In fact, when my wife and I go places, most often I just, I just drive. And it's not, it's just, she just generally doesn't like to as much. And, and I just, I love driving. Matter of fact, I even grew up in the city for most of my life, in or around the city, and, and I even learned to, I learned to love traffic. I learned to get used to traffic. Um, but my favorite thing, honestly, about driving is the carpool lane. Can anybody relate with me? You love the carpool lane. Um, the carpool lane is designed uh, for those of us that are traveling with, with two or more people, right? We, we've got a couple other people in our vehicle, and I tell you what, there is no sweeter feeling then pulling up on bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic, knowing full well that you're about to just merge and cruise past all of them. You know what I'm saying? Many of you rely on the carpool lane, maybe even to get, it, get here today, or maybe to go to work every single, every single day. You know, I, I'm not necessarily the most patient driver, though, if I could admit. 
Uh, I apologize if I honked at any one of you on the way in here today, all right? It was, it was a mistake. I was, it was turning. Don't worry about it. It's, I promise I, I apologize. But, you know, with, with driving comes one of my biggest pet peeves, and that is, uh, that is those people that, that try to sneak in the carpool lane when they don't have anybody else in their vehicle. You know what I'm talking about? You, you ever seen those people? They kind of sneak in the carpool lane. They're all by themselves and they just take up space in the carpool lane, right? So yeah, I can't drive as fast. I can't get around as quickly. You know what I'm talking about? I know none of you in this room have ever done that before though. I know none of you have ever done that, but uh, it, it kind of in preparation for today, I, I went ahead and, and Googled some of the outrageous things that some people have done in order to kind of get by driving in the carpool lane when they don't have another person with them. Uh, maybe you've seen some of this. Hopefully you've never done one of these things that I'm about to say, but uh, one, of the, one of the things that someone has done, they didn't have anybody else in their car in, in an effort to get, get by in the carpool lane. They, they just, they, they bought a, a, a fake skeleton and just put it in the passenger seat. Some guy just put a fake skeleton in the passenger thinking that that was gonna, that that was gonna work. Uh, an, an, another mom got pulled over because she just threw a bunch of car seats in the car and figured like maybe they won't know that they're empty. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, another guy, another guy just threw his dog in the passenger seat, right? Just big, big dog right in the passenger Man's best friend, of course that's gotta work, right? No, he got a $500 fine. He got a $500 fine. Um, one of, my, one of my favorite things, though, uh, as I was researching, people put mannequins in the car. People just put human clothes around like piles of wood. Um, I don't know how that works at all. But, uh, but one of my favorite, one of my, the funniest things that, that I saw was, did you know that, that there is actually someone out there making a living off hiring out people to ride with you to and from work? Did you know that? You could pay somebody to just ride in your car so that you could get to and from. They'll just hang out. They'll just chill with you all day, and then they'll just be there to come home so you can get home faster. Can you believe that? Uh, like all of this work just so that they could drive in the carpool lane when they don't have another person with them. I think it's interesting today when we begin to think about all of the things in life that were designed to be done with other people that we, in fact, try to do by ourselves. Life itself in fact, was designed and created to be done in community. And yet what I've found is that so many of us, we have been going through life for X number of years isolated, thinking that we can get by and we can do it by ourselves. But life requires community. Life was designed to be done in community. You see, what I've learned over the course of even my life is that so often when we're not winning at things, or maybe somebody offends us, maybe in the neighborhood, or maybe even at church, or at the job, or we don't like what that person said about us, or, or we didn't really like that look that person gave us, or, or whatever the case may be, what happens is we retreat from community and in turn remove ourselves from relationships and partnerships, all because we think it's going to be easier. We think that if we just do it by ourselves, if we, just, if we just, hey, let's just not be in community, let's just do it by ourselves, it'll be easier. Have you ever thought that before? Have you maybe even felt that or said that before? So you have to understand today that isolation is a dangerous place to be. When you're by yourself, there's no one there to strengthen you. 
There's no one to encourage you when you need encouragement. There's no one to sharpen you. There's no one there to lift you up or to help you see things that are going on even in your own life. God has called you and I to be part of community. But isolation is a dangerous place to be. Look at what it says in Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 1. It says, a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. In Genesis chapter 2, the Bible says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. So I will make him a helper comparable to him. You see, from the beginning of time, the enemy has been on a mission to separate family and destroy community. He's been on a mission to do so. We see it clearly in Genesis 3. And the question I would ask today is, why is he so, so uh, on a mission in order to do that? And, but the, and the reality is, is because that community is close to God's heart and it is vital to our human experience. It's because there's power in community. It's because there's strength and hope and life in community. That's why when we talk about these gateway gatherings that we have, that's why those are so important. That's why getting involved in women's ministry and attending Rooted is so important or, or getting involved with men's ministry and stand with six is so important because there's power in community. Even down to, to gateway students, our whole ministry is built on crews, small groups of students doing life together. Why? Because there is power in community and we have seen it played out over the last uh, over the last year and a half as we made a transition in students there's power in community you have to understand that alone and isolated is even an unhealthy place for you and I to live it's not how we were designed to live did you know that you were in fact created for community and to live any other way would be to settle for less than what God has for you. We were created for community. You know, we live in a time right now where we are more connected than ever and yet more disconnected than we've ever been. Have you seen this a little bit? We even go through life sometimes with these fake substitutes of true community like social media and stuff like that. Those are just our ways of throwing a dog in the car and trying to get by in the carpool lane. When in reality, we were designed to do life with one another. That means going to coffee with one another. That means being able to share experiences and what's going on with one another. That means calling each other during the week, having that person that you can call when, when you don't feel like you can call anybody else. It means doing life together on a daily basis. But so many of us have settled for these fake substitutes of true community and really maybe have forgotten what true community is supposed to look like. But we see God's pattern for true community here in Acts chapter two, beginning of the early church. In Acts chapter two and verse 42, it says this. It says, every believer was faithfully devoted to, to following the teachings of the apostles. Their hearts were mutually linked to one another, sharing communion and coming together regularly for prayer. A deep sense of holy awe swept over everyone and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. All the believers were in fellowship as one body, and they shared with one another whatever they had. 
You see, this is how you were created to live. This is, in fact, how you were created to function. And may I submit to you today that this, in fact, is how the church is supposed to function as well. That our job is to do everything we can to bring other people into this very community and into community with God. It's how we were created to live. But the enemy would love nothing more than for you to miss out on the very thing that he's lost out on already. And spend a majority of your life in isolation. He would love for you to sit in isolation far longer than you're supposed to. He'll use things like your past. Have you seen this before? Barriers to community that the enemy will kind of throw up in front of us. He'll come to you in, in vulnerable times and he'll throw your past in your face and say, hey, remember what you did? Remember what you've done? Remember that relationship that you were a part of that didn't work? Yeah, you probably shouldn't engage in, in community again. Because what if, what if that happens again? What if you get hurt again? What if you mess up and make another mistake again? Yeah, you probably should just stay by yourself because it's easier, right? Have you heard that before? You need to understand today that there is strength in community. And your Bible and my Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 that therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You need to understand today that all of those things are lies from the enemy. You were created for community. In fact, you need community. It doesn't matter what you've done, where you've come from. You need community and in fact, you were created for it. Doesn't matter what has happened in the past. Keep moving forwards. Another thing that the enemy oftentimes will do or barriers even in our own life that will keep us from community is pride. Have you ever said this before? I got this. Have you ever said that before? Only to realize that when you step out and actually attempt to do that thing, you realize you really don't got it. You really don't have it all together. You really can't do this all by yourself. You got to understand today that it is impossible to thrive in isolation. See, when you're alone, there's no one to sharpen you. There's no one to strengthen you. There's no one to encourage you, no one to lift you up, no one to help keep you moving forwards. You are all by yourself. You got to understand it's impossible to do life alone when it was designed to be done in community. You will continually find yourself upset, frustrated, and stuck. And it's no way to live. Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 17 says this, As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 says it like this, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. You know, when I was eight years old, I was about eight years old and when I was younger, my family, we moved around a lot, and 
I was eight years old and I was just starting a new school. I was just starting a new school and learning how to make friends and, and trying to connect with, with other people. And, and I remember there was, the, there was this kid I had seen in my class and we were out on the playground and he was, he was coming down the slide. And so I ran up to the bottom of the slide and as soon as he popped out the bottom of the slide, I simply just walked up to him and said, hey, will you be my friend? He said, yeah, and we still talk to this day. We maybe don't talk as much as we used to when I was a kid or when we were living there, but, but we still talk occasionally to this day. And, and I don't know if I really realized what I was doing then when I was eight years old, but there was something I did understand, and that was I needed people. And it doesn't matter today if you're 12 or you're 80. The fact of the matter is you need people. And you cannot do this life on your own. You were not designed or created to do this life on your own. You need people. We need God and we need people. Or maybe you've heard this third thing echoed in your mind or maybe you've said this, that your personality is what might keep you from community. So often we make excuses based on our personality that, oh, I'm an introvert. And so, you know, that, that whole community thing or engaging with one another, sharing what's going on in my life, sharing feelings, sharing thoughts and emotions and letting somebody in. Yeah, I don't really like, I don't really do that because I'm an introvert. So I kind of just, kind of just hang out by myself. I just like doing it by myself. Maybe you've said that before. Or maybe you've said, you know what, I'm an extrovert. And so I know a lot of people, but those deep, tight friendships were like, you do that kind of stuff? Like, I'm, not, I'm not all about that. I, I do better in groups. I, I do better just in kind of these shallow groups, right? Maybe you've said that before. See, but you got to understand today that community is something we all want. And no matter how you are wired today, you and I somewhere deep inside our soul have a longing, a desperate longing for community. That is in fact how you are wired. You were created for community. You see, how you connect with others and if you connect with others are two different things. What we're talking about today when we talk about community and doing life together, talking about that you connect with others, not how you connect with others. You were created for community. Now, as we began today, we, we opened with a story in Mark chapter two of this man who is broken. He's He's hurting. He is there, just lying there, paralyzed, desperately looking for, for healing, for something to change in his life. And we see in Mark chapter 2 that he has a community of people around him. He has four guys around him, and, and these four friends can see their, their buddy's need. They see what's going on in his life, and, and they make a decision that they're going to do everything they can to get their friend into the presence of God, into this house where Jesus is. And so they, they get together and they pick him up as we've read and, and they go and they recognize that the door is not an option because it's full, that the windows are closed and those aren't options. And so they just decide, hey, we're gonna destroy this dude's house and we're just gonna cut a hole in the roof and he can figure that out later, but we're just gonna, we're gonna get him in there. So they pick up their friend and they get up on the roof and they lower him down and such an awesome story. It's an amazing story of Jesus healing this man. But I think that 
there's something else that is extremely important for us to notice in this story, and that is that, that Jesus recognizes the community that this man is a part of. I think it's interesting in this story, the, the, the role that community plays in this man's wholeness, in this man's redemption, in him getting the healing that he ultimately needed and that Jesus wanted to provide for him. Jesus notices the community that this man is a part of. So I want to give you today, I want to give you three observations about community from this story in Mark chapter 2. And the first observation, I'm going to say it like I heard it, and I promise you I'll explain it to you, but the first observation about community from Mark chapter 2 is this. Sight is supplemented in community. To supplement something means to add something in order to complete a thing. It means to supply a deficiency or to reinforce. You see, in life, so many times we get into tough spots or we have tough situations we find ourselves in. And, and you probably know this to be true, but we tend to get tunnel vision, don't we? We tend to only be able to see what's directly in front of us. And so often we miss out on opportunities. We miss out on possibility and all of these things that God might be doing in our life. Because all we tend to be able to see is what's directly in front of us. To simply illustrate this, have you ever been texting and walking before? You laugh because you've probably done it. And in fact, I, I'd probably, I've probably done this more times than I care to admit. But I've been texting and walking before and, and almost run into things all, all around me, run into poles and, and signs and cars even, right? Because we're, we're texting and I can see, I can see my phone. I can see my feet. I can even see the three feet around me, but I can't see. I can't see what's coming. I can't see what's around me. And we've all been in those situations where at the last second, your friend yells out, Isaac, pull! And you like stop and you're like, dude, could you not have told me like 15 feet ago? Like why save me the embarrassment, right? But I'm sure we've all been there before. See, I could see, but I really couldn't see. Let me say it like this to you today. If what you can see is all you can see, you're not seeing all that needs to be seen. If what you can see directly in front of you is all that you can see, you're not seeing all that needs to be seen. But isn't it just like God? That he would create us for community so that when we get in moments when we really can't see what's around us, when we get tunnel vision, when we get so focused on problems and, and what seems impossible, that he would give us community around us to be able to see possibility. People that can step into our life and say, hey, keep going. You've got purpose bigger than you know. People that can come into our life and say, hey, but guess what, God, guess what God is doing in your life? People around us who can come in and help us see possibility, see solutions when we only see problems. Isn't it just like God that he would create you and I that way? That he would give us community to do life with? The second observation that we see here from Mark chapter 2 is this. That in community, strength is provided. Strength is provided. Mark chapter 2 and verse 3, it says this. 
Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. See, he couldn't walk for himself. He couldn't carry himself. He had no strength in order to be able to get him into the house to receive the healing that he needed. I think of Moses. When Moses couldn't talk, Aaron could. When Moses couldn't hold up his hands any longer, Aaron and her were right there next to him to be able to hold his arms up high. And when this man couldn't walk, he had four friends in his life that were not only willing but able to pick him up and to carry him into this house to receive the healing that he ultimately needed. May I ask you today, who do you have around you? Who do you have in your life? Who are your four or six or two or do you even have one? Somebody that you can do life with. Again, I'm not talking about seeing them one time a week. I'm talking about somebody that, that will call you when you don't want to talk to anybody. Somebody that will dig when you really don't want anybody else to dig. Somebody who will pray with you. Somebody who will believe with you. Somebody who will stand with you, maybe celebrate with you, maybe even cry with you. Who do you have around you or have you been trying to do this thing all by yourself for far too long? You were created for community. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 12, to repeat it, it says this, Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. And number three, the third observation we see about community here in Mark chapter 2 is this, is that sacrifice is required for community. Sacrifice is required for community. See, in, e in this story, each of the people present had to sacrifice something. This man laying there, broken, he had to sacrifice his pride to allow four people in to see the hurt, to see the pain, and to help. These four men that were there, they had to sacrifice time. They had to sacrifice even their life. If we are to go that far, they're climbing on top of roofs. All so that their friend could experience the healing that he truly needed. It was August 16th, 2002. And two A-10 warthogs are flying over a valley in Afghanistan. 22 U.S. troops are on the ground below. And it's a cloudy night. There's storms in the area. And so these planes are flying high above the clouds. Now these planes were intentionally and specifically designed with, with specific body armor. And they're there just to provide ground support for these troops that are there. And one of the, one of the pilots, whose nickname is Johnny Bravo, he's... Over the radio, he begins to sense some unease from the troops down below. And so he tells his wingman, hey, I'm going to go and check it out. And he dives down below the clouds. And when he comes out from, behind, or from underneath the clouds, he, he hears over the radio, troops in contact, troops in contact. So he quickly continues to dive. And when he comes out from beneath the crowds, he's, he's, he's less than 1,000 feet above the ground in a valley Mountains on both sides. And as he's coming down, he 
sees these 22 U.S. troops and all he can see is fire coming from every single area. So he picks a spot and he just begins to lay suppressing fire. Now, what you need to know is that these planes at that time, they didn't have the tech and the, all the gadgets that we currently have now. And so all he's got are some old maps and some flight timing techniques. So as he is flying, laying, suppressing fire, he simply calls out 1-1000, 2-1000, 3-1000, 4-1000, 5-1000, pulls back up into the clouds. Good hits, good hits, he hears over the radio. So he comes back again, 1-1000, 2-1000, He continues this pattern over and over again until he runs out of ammo. He comes back up to the top of the clouds to get his wingman. He says, hey, we, we need you down there. His wingman isn't as confident as Johnny Bravo was. And so he says, hey, I'll go with you. With no ammo. Together, they dive down below the clouds. And as they do, Johnny Bravo begins to count out loud. One, one thousand, two, one thousand, three, one thousand, four, one thousand, five, one thousand. As his wingman lays suppressing fire. They continue to repeat this pattern over and over and over again. That night, 22 U.S. soldiers went home safely. Zero casualties. Afterwards, Johnny Bravo was interviewed and he was asked, hey, what, what would compel you to do such a thing? What, why did you do that? And he simply responded, because they would have done it for me. Why did you sacrifice for, for that group of people? Because they would have done it for me. See, sacrifice is required for that type of brotherhood to be there. In community, sacrifice is required. We see it in Acts chapter 2. When the early church gathered together, they shared with one another. They, they brought gifts and they gave to one another as each other needed with no real thought of their own. See, sacrifice is required for community. Sacrificing for one another so that they may gain, so that they may grow. Did you know that the very essence even of the gospel is about sacrifice? that God would send his son, Jesus, as a sacrifice for you and for me to bring us back into community with him? Look at what it says in Galatians chapter four, verse four, it says, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. See, the very essence of the gospel is community through sacrifice. To bring you and I back into community with him and to show us what true community with one another really looks like. It is grace, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says. It is grace, nothing but grace 
that we are allowed to live in community with our Christian brothers and sisters. You know, when my wife and I moved here about two and a half years ago, we knew what isolation looked like. We knew what isolation felt like. Back where we were, it was difficult. She was going to school full time and I was working two jobs right out of marriage just to make things work. We knew what isolation felt like. And when we were moving out here to Arizona, we, we had a lot of prayers, but our number one prayer was not to find the best house, to find the best place to live. Our number one prayer is that we would find community, that we would find people to do life with, to talk with, to share experiences with. And many of you know, but we're expecting our first baby in four weeks. And just last week there, you guys, so many of you from the church held the baby shower for my wife. And there was a moment at the end when everybody gathered together to, to pray and, and she just broke down. And she said, this is what we were praying for. This is what we were longing for. See, what made this home for us was not the fact that we have an address here. It was not the fact that we have an address here. What made this home for us was this community right here, was the community that we found here. You know that that same community is here for you? You know, community is for you. And it's possible for you to find that same community. In fact, you were created for it. Thanks for joining us on Gateway.Live. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com.